0: All right, so I'm going to look at this text with an eye toward the three major lies that we tell ourselves about ourselves. And they happen to match up with the lies that Jesus' audience tells themselves about themselves. First lie, Abraham is our father. Second lie, God is our father. Third, the devil is not our father. I want you to bear with me. I will explain myself. So I'm gonna skip over verses 31 and 32 because that's actually the hope and you know, you know we always have to wait for the hope. So when the, when the, when the, when the Jews are told that following Jesus would set them free, their response is striking. Verse 33, they say, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Now this is especially surprising because Jesus is speaking to a Jewish audience. So when when God introduces himself to the people of Israel in the Ten Commandments, an often-quoted text, a very well-known text, he does so in this way, in Exodus 20, verse 2, the Lord says this: I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When the Lord would tell Israel to care for the poor, to care for the refugee, to care for the enslaved. When, when the Lord told Israel to cancel debts every seven years, to follow the Sabbath, to, when they free their slaves, to furnish them with resources out of their own storehouses when they're set free, there was a foundational truth that God repeated. He said this in Deuteronomy 15, verse 15. Remember that you were slaves in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Said another way, the people of Israel were supposed to live as a people whose central identity was not in their being free, but in their having been freed. There's a difference between being a free person and a freed person. For example, when we look at this nation's history, it's fundamental institutions, White people in this country are and have been, throughout history, free. Black people in this country have been freed. And the people in this text have forgotten what it means to have been freed. And they've fallen again into slavery. And that's what Jesus tells them. Let me, let me give, you, give, you, give you my translation of, of, of verses 34 and 35. Jesus says, very truly I tell you, everyone who practices sin is a slave of sin. A slave doesn't stay in the house forever, but a son stays forever. So if the son frees you, you will truly be free. You will be free indeed. I know that you're offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen alongside my father. You act on hearsay from your father. Jesus is is razor sharp here. The the Jews are saying that Abraham is their father and therefore they are free. Jesus says, "Mm, mm, mm, mm." if you sin, you're not free. You're a slave. And though you might get tastes of what it's like to live in the big house, so, so to speak, you don't belong there. Although sin might give you tastes of what you think are joy, those are moments that are really meant to dull your sense that you're actually enslaved. Malcolm X, in a 1963 speech, explained this, I think, very well. So I'm gonna take his image and shift it. You'll hear from the language of the 60s, he uses the language of Negro uh, to describe black people, and that's, that's the language that I'll use here. But he uses the images of the house Negro and the field Negro. In racialized chattel slavery, the enslaved in the house got certain benefits. Sometimes that got folks to identify so much with their enslavers that, as Malcolm would say, when his, when his master said, we have good food, the house negro would say, yes, we have plenty of good food. We have plenty of good food. When, when the master said that we have a fine home here, the house negro said, yes, we have a fine home here. When the master would be sick, the house negro identified himself so much with his master, he'd say, what's the matter, boss? We sick? His master's pain was his pain, and it hurt him more for his master to be sick than for him to be sick himself. When the house started burning down, that type of Negro would fight harder to put the master's house out than the master himself would. To the contrary, the field Negro knew that they were enslaved, knew their suffering, and they hated their enslaver as a result. Sin doesn't want you to see it. Because once you do see it, then the Spirit guides you to hate it and repent from it. But it's in our enslaver's best interest to hold us close so that we forget that we're enslaved. Consider your own sin. Consider your envy. Consider your lust for power, for influence, your anger. None of these things want you to hate them. They want you to feel comforted by them. Sin wants you to think that it's, it's not that bad, even as it corrupts you and your relationships. And the Son of God comes in and reminds you, hey, slaves don't stay in the house. But if the Son sets you free, then you're really free. And when we... And the Jews of this story claim to be free, claim to not have need, claim to be self-sufficient. We're saying, Abraham's our father. And we do it to hide from our slavery. Lie number one. Abraham is our father. Lie number two. God is our father. Now the Jews that that, that Jesus is talking to, they they can't make up their minds about who their father really is. So Jesus uses a bunch of different arguments to tell them that they're not Abraham's legitimate children. So they ramp it up in verse 41. They say, "We're, we're we're not bastard children. We're not children of sexual immorality. We have one father, God. Jesus is making the the Moripovich move because he he knows he knows his biblical history. If you remember Abraham's story, remember he's got he's got two sons. Well, eight eight in total, but two 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 at first. Isaac and Ishmael. And remember, Ishmael is the fruit of their sex trafficking of Hagar. I use that language because it, it, it's, 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 you think of the euphemism of Sarah telling Abraham to have a child by Hagar. But that's, what, that's what's going on here. And whenever Jesus is challenging their claims to Abrahamic paternity, Jesus is basically saying, yeah, Abraham, Abraham might be your dad, but you clearly didn't get the inheritance. I mean, Abraham had a bunch of kids. You ain't special and you ain't slick. I hope you're seeing kind of why, why his audience is starting to get upset. Because Jesus is telling them, you're, you're not who you think you are. You're not as pure as you want people to think you are. And nobody wants to hear that. And so they ramp it up because they don't, they, they don't get the fact that he's actually making a deeper claim than that. And so they say, we're not illegitimate children. God is our father. We're, we're inheritance-bearing children. We are something. We can trace our genealogy back to God. We're ethnically and personally pure. And Jesus in verse 42 says, mm see, if you are going to claim that God is your father, you've got to do the things that God does. You can't claim a father and refuse the obligation of that relationship. Jesus says in verse 42, If God were your father, you would love me. For I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. If God is your father, then you value what God values, which to Jesus comes back to him. He keeps pulling it back to how you treat him. And so he's telling his audience, look, you can say who your father is all you want. I'm going to look at what you do. I think about this in terms of our faith regularly. Because there are, there are many around us and within us who, 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 who claim to be Christian, claiming to believe the right things, to be linked to the right people. And yet when we ask whether they or we are actually seeking to be obedient to Christ's commands, it reveals that we may have a different father. I look back at the history of of particularly white white American Christianity and hear me when I say that 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 being white and American and Christian doesn't make you an adherent of white American Christianity. It also it it also means that just because you are not white or not American doesn't mean that you are not subject to white American Christianity. So just so we know, this is something for us all to be aware of, that when I'm talking about white American Christianity, I'm talking about a a Christianity that sees whiteness and, and Americanness as virtues. I'm thinking of a Christianity that sees whiteness and Americanness as a currency, as a reason and a justification for social and economic dominance. I'm thinking of a Christianity that has a strength, that has a stranglehold on many of our churches and on our country broadly. I'm thinking about a Christianity that worships a Jesus who as my dear friend, Christina Edmondson would say, can't save you, can't save himself and is ultimately hellbound. This isn't a look, look at them over there moment. This is a look at us. If we we claim to be the body of Christ, are we acting in a Christ-like manner toward one another? Are we we consistently looking to sacrifice our own interests for the interests of others? Are we seeking to love our enemies rather than to seek their destruction? do Do we hear Christ's commands and then feign misunderstanding because we don't like how radical they are? Then we risk being those to whom Jesus speaks in verses 43 and 44 and 47. And don't do the easy thing when you hear this text and hide behind the fact that he's he's speaking to the Jews who believed him. Could he say this to you and me? Why is my language not clear to you, Jesus says? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Verse 47, whoever belongs to God, hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Do you know why physical, sexual, emotional, and, and spiritual abuse are so traumatic? It's because the people who have claimed to love us use that to harm us. It's especially the case in, 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 in parental in parental abuse. It's this, it's this dynamic that Jesus has laid out. You, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. We, we all want to be loved, to be appreciated, to be accepted, and often the family is that first spot where we either experience that or we don't. Brothers and sisters, those who sought to kill Jesus did so because he was a threat. He was a threat to their religious comfort. He was a threat to their lifestyles. He was a threat to their assumptions, and he was a threat to their positions. Where might Jesus be a threat to you? Where are those those parts of your life that you see Jesus poking at them and you tell the Lord, "Stop, stop poking at that? And how do you respond to that threat? Because, because the people of this passage, they respond to that threat by continuing to lie to themselves. They say, well, we're really children of God. Never mind the fact that God's revealed God's self and God's priorities, and we don't actually pay attention to those things. If there's one thing that that, 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 that terrifies me as I, care, as I care for you all. One, one thing that consumes my prayers, it's please, Lord, let no one here come before you at the end of time thinking that they were united to you and find out that they were deceived. Because the devil lies. And he's very, very interested in us being caught up in those lies. Which makes it all the more important that we as a people hold one another accountable to the truth. But then that raises the question, which truth? So to that, I wanna take a look at this, at this final lie. So lie number one, Abraham is our father. Lie number two, wrongly understood, God is our father. And the third lie, that the devil is not our father. When you look back on this passage, Jesus has been telling his audience that the devil is their father from the beginning. In verse 38, Jesus says, I'm telling you what I have seen in the father's presence and you're doing what you have heard from your father. I have firsthand knowledge. You got hearsay from the devil. In, verse, in verses 40 to 41, Jesus says, you're looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You're doing the works of your own father, a.k.a. the devil. How many of you have ever been insulted before? you can raise your hands? Anybody? All right. How many of you have been around the lobbing of racial slurs? How many of you have been called a racial slur? You're going you're to understand the depth of this next verse, because pushed up against a wall by Jesus' relentless use of the truth, they lash out in the only way they know how, personal attack. Verse 48, the Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and demon-possessed? Aren't you right in saying that you're a insert racial slur here? We ought to have goosebumps when we read that text. The unmitigated gall to call the eternal son of God, the actual Jewish Messiah, to call him demon-possessed, and then to call him a religiously impure and ethnically impure Samaritan? See, Jesus' response is also really interesting. Because he's not demon-possessed. He's also not a Samaritan, but, he, but he, doesn't, uh, he only says that he's not demon-possessed. He doesn't even respond to the Samaritan claim, which is interesting. Because like, we, we talked a few months ago about his conversation with the Samaritan woman at the well. Because Samaritans actually often end up being heroes of Jesus' stories. Side note, he doesn't even, <laughs> doesn't even deal with that just like, uh, no, demon-possessed? No, I'm not, I'm not demon-possessed. But he doesn't lash out. He doesn't punch people in the throat, which is the gut response of many of us. What he says is, I'm not possessed by a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and, he will, and, and he's the judge. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will... Not see eternal death. It says we'll never see death, but also means we'll not see eternal death. And this then sets folks off. And if you read the rest of the passage, it goes with breakneck speed from an argument to an attempted lynching. They say, oh, now we know you're possessed. Abraham and the prophets died and apparently your word is greater than them. And Jesus responds and says, hey, I'm not here for my own glory. My father who you think you know, but don't glorifies me. You're all liars who don't know God. Oh, and by the way, Abraham's my homeboy. As a, as a matter of fact, before as a matter of fact, before Abraham was, I am. If you ever want an example of like how not to resolve a conflict, this is, this is a great, great case study because Jesus is just escalating this entire, this entire passage. Jesus is at every turn piercing right to, the so, right to the soul until at the very end when he basically says, look, there's no higher allegiance than your allegiance to me. Abraham is nothing compared to me. And it's at that point that they pick up stones to kill him. They pick up ropes to hang him. They pick up torches to burn him. Jesus has gone too far and thankfully he gets away. But I want us to put this together. If, the, if, those, if those lies are threefold, what's the truth? If we're to be loving truth-tellers in an age of lies, not just around us, but, but within ourselves, what's the, what's the truth that we've got to drive deep into our bones? Well, first, if the lies are that Abraham or God are our father, if the lies are that we have never been slaves, that we are in no need of salvation, then the truth is that apart from Christ, Adam is our father. This is Paul's move in Romans 5. We've got a covenant head. It's going to be either the first Adam or it's going to be the second Adam so naturally, it's the first Adam. And so when he fell, we fell with him. Sin constantly seeks to corrupt us, crouching at our door, waiting to overcome us. And apart from Christ, we are enslaved to it. As Paul will say, we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are not self-sufficient. We cannot save ourselves. But the big lie, so to speak, is the last one, the hardest one, and the one that makes Jesus's audience in this text so angry. The devil is not my father. For each of us, brothers and sisters, it's, it's profoundly uncomfortable to think of ourselves as acting out the desires of the devil. We, we, we prefer to think of sin as a, as a slip up, as a mistake, a blip on the vast timeline of me as a good person. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says that it's actually an indication of our slavery and our corruption. But the good news is that he does not leave us in that slavery and corruption. Because the lies are not the end of the story. The truth is. How do, you, how do you combat the lies of the enemy both about yourself and about God? With the truth. The lie is that you don't need a savior. The truth is that you do and Christ has provided himself. The lie is that your sin is not that bad. The truth is that the eternal Son of God took on flesh to die in order to eradicate it. The lie is that you are free. The, the truth is that you have been enslaved and the Son of God came to set you free because the difference it's, it's the difference between being a free person and being a freed person. A church full of free people doesn't look to the interests of others. Rather, it looks to build itself up. The church, a church full of free people doesn't see its own need. It's puffed up. A church full of free people thinks that the gospel is just personal because that's all God really cares about. See, a church full of free people sees suffering as a distraction and something that you just need to get over. A church full of freed people looks different. A church full of freed people understands that the gospel is personal, that it's communal, and it's cosmic. The ch- a church of freed people remembers that God owes us nothing but gives us everything. A church of freed people looks, to, looks as much to the life of Jesus as much as it does his death and his resurrection. A church full of freed people remembers that if the Lord has set us free, then we ought to devote ourselves to setting other folks free. A church of freed people remembers what it's like to be in slavery. And so when we meet people who are struggling with sin, struggling with doubt, struggling with any of the number of things that we struggle with, we, a freed people, walk with those folks rather than over them. Yeah. 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 A church of freed people knows that the, that the Lord came not to justify a particular status quo, but to liberate an oppressed people, you and I. Those first verses, Verses 31 and 32. The good news is in the beginning of the passage. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. He'll continue to say, a slave doesn't stay in the house, but a son stays forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. The son of God took on flesh to heal your flesh. The Son of God lived the life that you could not. The Son of God died the death that you deserved. The Son of God was raised to life. And if we place our faith in him, we will be raised with him. The Son subjected himself to death and the grave to free us from our father, the devil, and to destroy the devil himself. And when the Son sets you free, you're not just a freed slave. You, dear brothers and sisters, become sons yourselves, heirs with the Son of God, bearers of the whole inheritance, bearers of holiness, bearers of joy, bearers of peace. That's what the good news of the gospel is. That's what it is to be freed. Now, brothers and sisters, as the Lord has set you free, go and by the Spirit liberate others. Let's pray.